Willow. This is Ruin Willow, and you are listening to the Oh Fuck Yeah with Ruin Willow podcast. I'm excited you're here. I'm excited to share this guest with you, and he's amazing. He has great things to say. He has a ton of experience in therapy, in writing, and sexuality topics. Now, on my podcast, I talk about things related to sex, sexuality, to help you have better sex with yourself and with others. And that includes erotica, delving into your fantasy life. Erotica is an important part of your fantasy life because you get to do things you may not normally get to do as you read it or listen to it. If you're under 18, it is time to leave the podcast now because we do talk about sex. Yes, we do. Today, my guest has an amazing array and extensive amount of work that is so valuable. His name is Dr. Joe Court, and I found him on Instagram. So he is on Instagram. (laughs) He has a website, joecourt.com, and he is a marriage counselor, and he also runs He's a counselor and a marriage counselor, sex therapist, and he runs the podcast Smart Sex, Smart Love, and his books are LGBTQ Clients and Therapy, Clinical Issues and Treatment Strategies, Erotic Orientation, and Is My Husband Gay, Straight, or Bi? A Guide for Women Concerned About Their Men. He also writes articles online. I'm going to look him up on Instagram here and get his info. He is a certified sex and relationship therapist, a published author, and of course, I said podcast host, Smart Sex, Smart Love, and he is the director of the Center for Relationship and Sexual Health. And on Instagram, he is Dr. Joe Court, D-R-J-O-E-K-O-R-T. We had an amazing discussion and it was really valuable, and I'm excited to share it with you. So stay tuned for the whole chat and find out what you can learn from this amazing man. Hello, everyone. I'm so excited that you're here. I have this amazing guest. I'm so excited to talk with him. He has an amazing lineup of education and training and experience. He's an author and a podcaster. I love talking to other podcasters. And he is a director of the Center for Relationship and Sexual Health. His name is Joe Court. Hello, Joe. Welcome. Hi. Nice to have be here and have me here. Thank you. Well, tell us a little bit about what you do, your experience, your education, and what has brought you to where you are now in your career. Yeah, so much. You know, I've been doing this almost 40 years, 37 years this May. And uh, really, I became a therapist because I was gay as a teenager and struggling. And my mother sent me to a therapist who helped me come out in the 1970s. So it was 1977, 78, 79. Mm, And um, I'm actually still in touch with that guy, believe it or not. He's in his 80s. And wow. um, yeah, we reconnected. It was so helpful to me. And uh, I don't know that I always remember thinking, I want to sit in that chair. I want to do what he's doing for me, for others. And I did. I became an MSW. I got my degree licenses in social work. And over time, I dealt with sexuality issues. But in the early 80s, when I was this earlier, younger social worker, I was into sex addiction. And I, I came out gay, but I was also kinky. And my kinks were unacceptable to me. So mm. I 
found therapists who were trying to help me accept it. And I fired them all until somebody said, nope, you're fucked up. You're a sex addict. And I'm like, yep, I agree. And I, 20 years went that route. And, mm. um, yeah, it was really ugly. And, but you know, I did, I became trained. I became a certified sex addiction therapist, all of that. And then I realized that I didn't know enough about sex and more and more and more in my forties, as I learned about sex, or actually late thirties, early forties, I realized the sex addiction model was harmful, not equipped, not sexually informed. So I became a sex therapist. And, uh, and the other thing I wanted to do was help people. I knew how to help people through trauma, sexual trauma, sexual abuse. But then we were trained early on that your, your normal sexuality would surface once you do the work, which is a lie. That's not true. You have to help somebody after the trauma, during the trauma work, after the trauma work to find their authentic sexuality. So that's why I became a sex therapist. And I've been doing that ever since. And I run a center here, the Center for Relationship and Sexual Health with um, 15 providers that all do different things, but we're all here to help people with relationships and sex. Awesome. So with that many people on your team, you have different specialties that you can help people. And do you generally do online remote work when you counsel or is it in person? I do both, whatever somebody wants. I would prefer to always be in person, but Mm -hmm. these days people don't want all that. So I do whatever's comfortable for them. Right. Oh, I can imagine. What what's one of the top issues that you often see in working with couples? And is it the same or different between gay couples or heterosexual couples? Or is it kind of the same thing? I'm curious about that overall, what you would say. Oh uh, well, one thing I'll tell you is I know I've written a lot about gay and I'm gay, but 75% of my clients are actually straight. And um, when they call my office, they'll say, do you see straight people? And I feel like that kid in the sixth sense. I know, I was going to say that. That was the line. (laughs) And they think I come from some gay planet at 18 and infiltrate yours and learn your habitat, you know? Right. Um, But I do want to, it's a great question you're asking. A lot of therapists think that a couple is a couple and they just treat couples no matter same sex, mixed sex. And that's just terrible because while there's lots of things that overlap, Two men are completely different than two women, and they're right. completely different from a man and a woman, and just mm-hmm. any genders, you know? I think that's an interesting point, and I had never thought of that. But they aren't the same, so how could they be treated the same? Right, right. Well, and so the communication and money issues and parenting issues, and there's so many things that are similar, but two men are socialized as two males and come into mm-hmm. a relationship with very different ways of relating than do two women, you know? Wow, that's so true. Wow, I never really thought about that. That's kind of mind blowing to me right now. <laughs> yeah, I know. If people, you, if you don't have to think about it, you don't, you know. Right. I mean, I can see other people saying, well, that's being like, you know, prejudiced or judgmental if you're going to treat them differently. But you have to. How can you not? Yeah, yeah I never thought yeah. of it at that angle, but you're right. Maybe that's the positive intent of therapists, but it's, it is about acknowledging the difference, not, not treating them different. Right. I saw something really interesting on your feed that I thought really just struck a chord with me. And recently, I think it was a post you did recently where it was, you were talking about people wondering if they are a certain way, if they're gay, bisexual, or straight. And you mentioned how feelings and thoughts and memories from the past are very telling, such as being attracted to a certain sex or gender in youth versus not in like how sexual experimentation and acts are not indicative of 
your sexual orientation. Your orientation is your orientation. It's not your acts don't make you a certain way. They don't they don't make your orientation. Right. Right. And I feel like this has been a longstanding activism in the LGBT community to push mm. for understanding that what you do in bed doesn't de- define who you are. Right. And then I I got on TikTok like two and a half years ago, and I realized that the younger LGBT still believe and actually huh. fought me on this, that what you do in bed is who you are. But mostly oh, they vote primarily focused straight men who have sex with men, because that's my, one of my other specialties. Mm, And they're like, nope, women can have sex with women and still be straight. Lesbians can have sex with men and still be lesbians. Gay guys can still have sex with women and still be gay, but straight men can't. And that's just ridiculous. Right. That is a total double standard. It's like experimentation does not make you a certain way. Your orientation is, is what it is. It's solid for many people, but you can't, you can't, so bizarre that people still think that. I guess I was hoping that it was the other way around, that they were seeing it differently, but I guess not. Right. No, it really. And so, and people were, you know, think to themselves, well, if a straight man enjoys his pleasure, his pleasure with another man, then he's at least by, and they don't recognize that the straight men I'm talking about that come to see me, what they're attracted to is the act. They're attracted mm, to the activity yeah. between he and another guy, not the man. Right. That makes sense to me. And I think a lot of people don't think of it that way. That that also gives a lot of why there's a lot of fear about, you know, prostate play and anal sex for straight men. They're like, well, that's going to make, I hear that all the time. Well, that means I'm gay or maybe I'm gay if I like that. It's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> An act can't make you gay. I always say your anus doesn't have a sexual orientation. It doesn't know whether it's gay, straight, or bi. It's an anus. (laughs) (laughs) It's another body part. (laughs) Well, and there's an addendum to this, you know, this argument, which is that I, as a gay guy, have never had, nor ever will, nor ever had interest in anal sex receiving. So I'm not a bottom. I never, Mm. I never enjoyed and never tried topping. I'm not a top. And I coined the term side, that there Mm. are gay men for whom, and does that mean if I don't enjoy anal sex that I'm not gay? No, it means that I'm a gay man who doesn't like anal sex, just like there are straight men that like it. Just like there's straight women who don't like anal sex. Exactly. Exactly. Why is it different? It's not. It's just, yes, exactly. We can all like decide to not like what we don't like. We're supposed to like it as gay men, and there's a lot of shaming in it. So when I coined the term in 2013, I woke up this year to my phone blowing up, people showing me that Grinder, which is a gay dating app, adopted it and credited me for coining oh. this term and added it as a sexual position, which I'm so proud of. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. It's <laughs> really nice to see something like that happen, and for, especially after you've been fighting a, a viewpoint of a lot of people in the world. That's great. Yes, yes, very much so. It was really exciting. Oh, yeah. Well, so I have a question that you touched on. I think I don't know where I saw it. And of course, when I was researching you i saw it somewhere but do you have advice like quick advice that you could give to people that are considering if their sexual orientation is different than what the world their family or friends perceive them as and what would they what would they do how would they begin that process and if they can't like go to a therapist or say they're someone who's young and doesn't can't do such a thing what steps could they do on their own yeah, so these days what they already do is they're online. 
anonymously talking mm. to other people, which is where, mm-hmm. by the way, a lot of these new names come from. And, you know, it's so funny because researchers like PhD, long time, academic, university based researchers are so angry, many of them, because they're like, why are these kids making up these terms? And I like to say to them, because you're not, you're not fast <laughs> enough. And they're figuring their sexuality out and they're, they're doing it online and they're talking to each other and supporting yeah. each other. It's it's not the only way, but I think it's a really great start to start to talk about how am I going to tell my family? That makes sense. And then, you know, I suppose if they have access to being able to get books, but even if they can't, there is content online that they could read that they don't have to have any record that, oh, you know, someone saw me buy this, you know? Yes. And people think that the media, you know, like, uh, you know, streaming or, you know, Ranger TV is another way, but it really isn't. It's nice to see those images. But I always Mm -hmm. tell people before, especially teens come out of the closet, they're just like as closeted and as it's as excruciatingly painful as it was in the 50s, 60s and 70s, because they don't know what their family and their experience is going to be like. Right. That's the fear of the unknown and how people are going to react. Yes. Which is very hard when you're just trying to even figure out how the heck you feel in the first place. I know. And I always say that, you know, you many people learn right in church in childhood that homosexuality mm. is an abomination. So they don't yes. even have God to talk to. That's how lost and lonely they are. Oh, I know. I hate that. I There was a church I was going to, you know, maybe a few years ago. And one of the things that completely turned me off to the church was they said, we aren't going to turn any gay people away. We're just going to tell you, we don't think that's what you should be doing. And I'm like, what? Yeah. I mean, really what, 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 <laughs> what? I mean, come on, really? I know. And then I argue. So some people will say, well, that's unfortunate, but you know, I'm told that, you know, extra a sex outside of marriage or masturbation is, is wrong by the church. Right. So, you know, we all learn to live with it. And I say, no, 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 it's different masturbation and sex outside of marriage is what you do. Homosexuality is who you are. That's yes. shame. That's shaming you. Absolutely. One's guilty, right? Right. One's guilty. One's shaming. Right. Oh, absolutely. Yes. And then the, the whole thing about masturbation being shameful too. It's like, where are they even getting these ideas? That's what I don't understand. I and know. the weird thing is too, they talk about, you know, poly- polygamous people being evil. Well, polygamy is all throughout the Bible. Well, exactly. doesn't make any doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I know it doesn't. People just cherry pick all that, you know. They're just picking stuff out and be like, "Hey, this is how it's supposed to be," because this is what the Bible says, you know. Like, yeah. And I <laughs> always so like to say to people, as a Jew, that's your Bible. My Bible doesn't say this, you know. Right. <laughs> exactly. Do you feel like the current climate around homophobia is any better or worse than in the past? I mean, because you study this stuff, what do you think? Well, it's, it's a good question. In many, many, many ways, it's better. I feel like, sadly, being trans is really the new gay, what yeah. used to be gay, the bashing. And True. so I feel like people are like uh, more accepting in general, but there is an increase in the last five years of hate crimes against just walking through parks as a couple hand in hand for Ugh. gay same sex couples. So it's it's kind of mixed, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It's hard. I mean, I was talking to one therapist and she said, you know, over over time, over like a big chunk of time, I think it's better overall, but we keep taking steps forward and back, forward and back. And it yeah. doesn't, it's not static. It's never going to be static, I guess. Okay. It's never going to no. get good and stay good. <laughs> no, not with so much against it. I don't know, maybe not in our lifetimes, but it's so much better. Like really people are like gay is nothing to a lot of people mm-hmm. anymore. Right. That's so true. So in, in when I think of it that way, I do feel like it is 
better. It may be baby steps better, but it's sort of better. Yes, maybe. I do think it is. I really, really do. When I tell people or, you know, I'm up with my husband or, you know, just like in general, people, are, it's like they don't even blink an eye. Can still happen here and there, but it's it's less. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think it is too. And I guess that's a good thing. So why do you think that so many people think of masturbation as taboo? And I particularly want to ask you this question because I was having a discussion with somebody the other day and about how it seems like the world perceives a man masturbating to be more like negative or perverted than if a woman masturbates. We'll be back after a quick break. This episode is brought to you by the Spring Cleaning Champions, Manscaped. This season, make sure the man in your life grooms his carpets and his drapes with the leaders in below-the-waist grooming. Have him clear out that winter bush with Manscaped's Lawnmower 5.0 and watch his confidence bloom like the springtime flowers. Embrace the season and have him join the 10 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with our special offer. Go to manscaped.com and use code RUIN. You have to use my new code RUIN, R-U-A-N, for the 20% off and free shipping. Have you ever been doing some oral pleasure and got some hairs in your mouth or your teeth? Well, (laughs) Manscaped can help with that. Try being clean-shaven for spring cleaning. After he uses Manscaped, you can say, "Hmm, let's get some busy with some spring fever in the bedroom. Try out Lawn Mower 5.0 Ultra. It is an amazing trimmer that features two interchangeable heads, one for taking a little off the top and the new foil blade to go smooth. If you want to go smooth for spring cleaning, make sure you try out Manscaped products. Bring on those smooth skin sexy slaps in the bedroom. And how do you do that? Use Manscaped products to shave clean down in your pubic area. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code RUIN. You have to use my new code RUIN, R-U-A-N, all caps at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with code RUIN at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning in his pants, right? In your pants if you're a man. (laughs) Spring clean your groin area. Try smooth. Try it with Manscaped. Yeah. Well, these are good questions. Uh, I just think that, I think a lot of it comes from religion, that you're not supposed to pleasure yourself. You're supposed to be pleasured in relationship with a married partner, right? Mm, Right. And then if you're pleasuring yourself, then you may not need a partner. And that goes against what biblical Mm. religious teachings, I guess, you know? Good point, yeah. Mm -hmm. And with women, here's what I always say. Um, This is my thing about when a man has one non-heterosexual thought, He's stigmatized. When a woman has had one one non-heterosexual thought, she's fetishized. So I think that people are open to women uh, masturbating because she's fetishized. And men, it's seen as gross and like a perpetrator type, you know, predatory, right? It's so weird how that develops, but I guess that does make sense. Probably a lot of that is is stemming from religion, which tends to... Religion, yep. Patriarchy, sexism, all of that. Right. So many things we battle, aren't there? <laughs> yes, there really, really is. And some people like you and me are trying to fight the battle the other from the other side. 
Exactly. And that brings up one of the things I have on my list is sex positive. Okay, so let's touch on that. So what is sex positive mean to you? Because I was actually talking with someone the other day and they they didn't really understand what it meant. And I was like, really, you don't know what that means? And I was really shocked that that, that was a foreign term for them. I'll say it again. I don't understand. What do you mean? Oh, what, what does the term sex positive mean to you? And like, what would you describe that as? Oh, it was a foreign term to somebody you told that to. Yeah. And they were like, what do, what do you mean sex positive? Like, they're like, I don't think of sex as negative. I'm like, no, 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 that's not what I mean. What do you, so if you heard that sentence or that question, what would you say to that person? I would say sex positive means that you're not pathologizing. You're not yucking somebody's yum. Have you ever heard that? Mm-hmm. Right. So that you're really not pathologizing what is you might have a disgust response to somebody's sexual interest, but that doesn't mean it's disgusting, right? It right. just means that for you, you're not ready for it or it's not something you would ever be open to. But being positive means, like instead of saying prostitute, you would say sex worker. Rather right. than saying promiscuous, you would say somebody with a higher sex drive. Like just being more permissive about people's sexualities. Right. And not judgmental. Exactly. Yes. They're assuming that what they think is right and what someone else is doing is wrong, bad, gross, disgusting. And I think a lot of that comes from people don't talk openly, you know? So even though Mm. you go to the internet and see all these different scenarios, you don't know who these people are. You don't even know if it's real. People think it's made up. But in, in reality, if we were all talking openly about our kinks, our fetishes, our sexual erotic interests, then it wouldn't be so upsetting to people. They would be normalized. That's true. That's a good point. And and some people just can't talk about it and they can't get to the point to talk about it. And so then they just think everybody's like them. I don't like people that think that everybody's like them and that only how they are is the way everyone else is. Exactly. That's that's really what ends up happening. Yeah. And then people don't understand that there's a difference. And this is also being sex positive means being informed. There's a difference between your sexual orientation and your erotic orientation. Your mm. sexual orientation is to whom you're attracted to, right? If you're gay, straight, bi, it's a pan. But then your erotic orientation are the things that get you off, the things that bring you to orgasm, the things that turn you on. And they don't always match. They don't line up. There are there are lesbians that have rape fantasies um, of straight men violently raping them. It doesn't mean right. they want to be raped. It doesn't mean they're attracted to men. It's an erotic fantasy. This is totally something I had on my list to talk with you about. So yes, let's talk more about that. Are dark fantasies harmful? And so that, yeah, someone looking at that from the outside might be like, that makes your scenario just said, makes zero sense. It does make zero sense if you don't understand it, right? And the idea is that I like Esther Perel. Do you know Esther Perel? I've heard, yes. So she has this line and she says, what you protest in the streets usually turns you between the sheets. (laughs) I like that. I like that. I love it. So true. Like our fantasies are often politically incorrect. Sometimes they're illegal, but they're just fantasies. And things that happen to us early in our childhoods become eroticized. And it's Mm -hmm. normal and healthy. What's not normal and healthy is if you were to act on non-consensual illegal things. That's not Exactly. And just because you fantasize something doesn't mean you want to do it in real life. 100%. Yes. I think people, some people have a hard time with that. They think, well, if that turns you on, then you must want to do it and it'll turn you on even more. Right. And then there's a cultural myth for men that if you're thinking about it and you're watching it on video, then you're going to eventually do it as if we have no control over ourselves. And that's just ridiculous. 
like we're some sort of maniac that's like so influenced by what we watch. We're just going to turn into a crazed maniac doing this all over the place. Yes, but they don't, people don't think that about women. Women, I love to call what they call women porn. I'm sure you've heard of this literature. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So women can rub one, one, rub one out themselves watching, reading, listening to literature, and nobody thinks, oh, she's eventually going to want to do that. But when it's men, they do. Right, which is so weird. What do they think? Very everyone weird. just has no control over themselves? I mean, we're all people that are supposed to be, you know, people that people that can't control themselves that are on medications or being actually committed. That doesn't mean that we're going to like flip a switch and turn into Jekyll and Hyde. I don't know which one was the bad one, whichever <laughs> the one that went wild. Oh, no, no, I never remember either, but I know what you mean. <laughs> we have so much work to do in teaching people. So where do you think when someone has a fantasy, like you said, is formed early in our youth, is it kind of like, this is how I think of it, but I'm, I'm, I have, you know, I have college degrees, but I don't have one in therapy. I kind of think of it like Pavlov's dog, like you're exposed to something and then something happens. And then it just kind of is like this switch that happens in you that makes you think a certain thing in a certain situation. Yes. So you're asking me, like, how does that happen to me or, or why? Yeah. Is it like the Pavlov's dog thing where we kind of get conditioned into it unconsciously? Sometimes you're conditioned. Yes. Or a lot of people say their first exposure, their first experiences. I had a guy tell me that he used to rig the, he had, a, there was a clothes shoot that would be on the floor of this old house he lived in. And that, you know, you would open it and then put your clothes down the chute and go to the basement. But he was able to rig it. It was in the bathroom so that he could watch his sister shower because that's what a lot of straight little boys will do is try to get peeks mm. of their of accessible women which is sisters and whatever and sure. he uh, she had unshaved uh pubic hair and mm. that became part of what he would enjoyed with women he didn't want them to wax or shave he liked an unshaven pubic place interesting that is interesting so what we do and see when we're young and then people sometimes i think might have shame about that, but you don't have control over that necessarily. I mean, obviously he was purposely looking, but he was doing it out of curiosity. Right. But, you know, there could be situations where people are not purposely doing something and then they end up with certain fetishes because of what happened to them in their youth. Yes, absolutely. And then people, I always tell people, it's not everything gets fed, you know, Evlovian imprinted. Sometimes People remember, like I had a guy at my podcast, my very first one, where he said he remembered being a Cub Scout and learning how to tie ropes and having an erection and realizing uh, that's when he first realized he liked ropes, like bondage. Huh. So like he just kind of naturally had this desire for no other reason other than he just liked to do things with rope. Yes, right. And some people, they remember their first banking. So it didn't get eroticized. It was already erotic. Right. Exactly. Yes, that's that makes sense. We're just kind of put in that situation and somehow it gets linked by the pure sheer nature of what it is to something erotic. Right. And then sometimes it's to right the wrong or to anesthetize something painful in your childhood. So sadly, mm. some people, they eroticize early trauma and they think something's wrong with them and they have a lot of shame, but it's normal to do that. Right. Shame is really tough to break through. And I feel like there's so much of that. And, you know, shame can be a good thing if you're doing role play and you're, it's acceptable, but it can also be so limiting. Very limiting. It really is. And shame will turbocharge compulsive sexual behavior, sadly, because what you're doing and there's, is going against it, you're fighting it. And I don't know if you know Jack Morin, but he wrote this book called 
erotic mind. And it's not in the book, but it used to be on his website. He's now deceased. And he had this great quote and it said, if you go to war with your sexuality, you'll lose and Mm. cause more chaos in your life than when you started. Yeah, that actually brings a question to my mind. If someone has something like that from their their youth that has now become a trigger, a sexual trigger for them, could they erase that? Or is that losing battle, like you just said, like impossible? That's a great question. So what you cannot do is give yourself what we call an erotic-ectomy. So if mm. you have a fantasy, it's, it's going to be with you for the rest of your life. doesn't mean you have to act on it. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean it has to be strong. It can be you can minimize it and add other fantasies in, but it's not mm. going to necessarily go away. Right. So yeah, you can't you can't have an ectomy of sorts. It's no, really you possible. You can't no, like rewire lucky. your brain. No, I know people think that they and therapists will promise this and they shouldn't because you can't promise that at all. If it happens, it happens, but it's not necessarily gonna happen gonna be something that you can, you know, do on your own volitionally. Right. I want to ask you about a sentence that you have in your erotic orientation book that I that really just struck me and I, I found it very interesting. The key to happy, healthy sexuality is not deny one's core erotic orientation. What is your core erotic orientation? What does that mean? Your core erotic orientation would be any kind of major fantasy turn on peak things that you is your go-to fantasy. And then what I call it is cracking the erotic code is really helping you uh, not not understand the non-sexual narrative behind it, like where what's driving it that isn't about sex. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Right. So there's something else emotional that it does for you or brings you somewhere that isn't even sexual. Is that what you mean? Yes. Right. So like, I'll give you an example. I had a guy where he was attracted to female amputees. They had to be missing a leg on either side. It didn't matter. And mm. when he was upset about it, mostly because he didn't want to objectify these women. And yet he enjoyed watching them like on YouTube it would be porn for him, really struggling to get around on crutches, whatever, in a wheelchair. And so it turned out when he was a child, he had a fully able-bodied mother, but she was so depressed she couldn't get off the couch. So they lived on government assistance in a very depressing childhood. Across the hall was a female amputee, worked full-time, used the stairs rather than the elevator. He would offer to help her. She would say, I don't need your help. I need your company. So when his sexual orientation kicked in, it was to women. And when his erotic orientation kicked in, it was to female amputees because that was the powerful woman that he had in his life compared to his mother. Wow. Wow, that is quite the story. I know. I like it because it's a story that any of us could look at at a peak erotic fantasy that we have. True. And it just shows you how much our upbringing really, really shapes us, whether we want it to or not. It, it's gonna. Yes. Right. And we just need to learn how to live with that. <laughs> yes, we do. And and feel okay about it and not ashamed. Like you said, shame is really the, the thing to stay away from. Yes. And unless you're going to use shame in like a role play thing, then, you know, that's totally different. I think it's a totally different scenario. One One person I talked to once said that, they often like to have people rewrite. They might have a fetish about something or something, some trauma in their past that's preventing their enjoyment. So they would recommend them to kind of take over that and restructure it into a way that like sort of rewrite the history in the sexual fantasy of something that they were hurt in the past. Does that make sense? 
It does. Yeah. I like it a lot, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was a really interesting idea. And I thought, wow, that's really great. And how does someone do that? But maybe they do it with a trusted partner. They try to different scenarios, role play. I'm not sure. I think they could try lots of things as long as it's not with a promise that it will go away. Right. Exactly. It might make it better or it might just make it different. It might just take off the sting of something maybe, or just sort of reframe it somehow. Yes. I love that. Yes. And claim it and accept it as part of you. Right. That's like when people take a word that is harmful and then they, they sort of use it themselves and it kind of takes the power away from people who are using it negatively. Yes, it does. I like that a lot. Yeah. Very, very interesting. So do you feel like when you have couples come in to talk with you, do you ever, when they're talking about sexual therapy, do you ever have to like reframe their brains and help them try to think sex positive? Yes, all the time, all the time, because they feel one might feel disgusted by the other's desires, right? Or or level of interest. One wants it more than the other. So I'm constantly Mm. trying to help them differentiate, right? Not make one person right or wrong, good or bad. Right. You should find a way to coexist. Coexist and find a way to uh, invite behavior changes, but understand that I'm not going to get everything I want and you're not going to get everything you want, but we're going to be, the work is in attempting to find a middle ground. Right. Because you're always going to have some sort of middle ground. I mean, you may have different fantasies. And I think that's an important thing to say too, just because someone has a fantasy that repulses you doesn't mean you're not going to have a common ground with that partner. Exactly. And one of the ways, and that's why I like to crack what I call crack the erotic code. Like, okay, so for instance, I had a couple, mixed gender couple, and the wife found his porn and it was riddled with femdom, so female dominance, Mm, forcing mm -hmm. the male sub to eat scat, eat feces, you know? Okay. Yep. Yep. Right. She was fully disgusted by this. She didn't, she couldn't, you know, what does this mean? And I'm not going to do that. And you can't force me to do that. And he wasn't, it was just porn that he didn't even know why he liked it. And right. so we went into his childhood and it turned out that when he was punished by his parents, they would make him hot sauce and bars of soap. Oh wow! So you're not going to find porn like that, but the scat was, was a replacement for the feces. And I mean, for the, um, you know, bar of soap and the hot sauce. And wow. once she could see the link, she had more compassion for him. Interesting. And it's interesting that he could make the correlation between those things because, you know, one is food and soap are like clean things and positive things and scat is not. I mean, yeah, except right, it's a part of life, he, but. <laughs> well, right. And he didn't come to that. It was me in the therapy room. I helped him. Oh, that's so that. interesting. Wow. That's yeah. an amazing yeah. story too. I mean, just to think of, and to crack that, it's had to be, it probably had to take a lot of talking to get to that point. I mean, to think about how that, hmm, that's so interesting. Yes. <laughs> that's why I do family histories really quickly, like within a couple of sessions. So that because uh, once he said that to me, I was like, here it is. Here's what this is. I thought. That's so interesting because, you know, I'm not a therapist. So that's really fascinating to me that you really look at their people's upbringing and their past to, to determine why they are the way they are. That's intriguing. Yes. Right. And it's not always doesn't always work. It's not always the right menu, but it's very commonly it, it can be it can be very helpful. Right. What do you tell people, couples where one person has a higher sex drive than the other and when they want to masturbate, but then the other person who has a lower sex drive is like upset that they're doing that. Yeah, that's so hard. I mean, I don't really have a standard thing I say. I I really try to help, like what we talked about earlier, uh, be more sex positive, help them be more sex positive. 
and have a dialogue around what it means that your partner's pleasuring themselves without you. What is it bringing up for you? You know, and then the partner that doesn't want the other one pleasuring themselves, I ask, are you policing your partner in other areas? Just this area? Why this area? You know, I try to help them understand that, you know. That's a good point because basically they are policing the other person. Right. And sometimes they're policing the thoughts that they don't even want them thinking about something. It's like, really? Now you're going to get in their head? I mean, that doesn't, that's not going to work. No. And why, why would you think that you should do that? You like want someone to be exactly what you think they're supposed to be. That's messed up. It's to be so that they can regulate themselves. I'm unregulated. I'm emotionally distraught. So I'm going to need you to change so I can be okay. Right. Interesting. sounds like they have more issues than the sexual going on with that situation, right? Yes. Oh, (laughs) oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really a tricky thing to help somebody understand that. Now, I, I have similar scenarios where women are very upset with men watching porn and but I have the opposite where men are very jealous and upset that she's using a sex toy and they'll say my penis is available 24 7 you don't need that but she wants it and she'll say I'm available 24 7 you don't need the porn and he's like but I like to do that in addition to you you know right right yeah they make it about them rather than them than her sexuality right and just understanding that it's in addition to not instead of Exactly. Exactly. And why wouldn't you want your partner fully satisfied? I mean, if they're going to ignore you and never interact with you, that's one thing. But if they are interacting with you, how does that hurt them? Right. Right. And yeah. the hurt is that it feels like a betrayal. And and then I, I love, you know, Marty Klein. Have you ever interviewed him? Wh- who is it? Marty Klein. He's a sex no. therapist. No, I have to look into him. him. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's so smart. He has this great line. He says, couples often fight over contracts. They've never made. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. That and makes so sense. in here, you know, I, you know, you shouldn't do that. Well, we never talked about, even if they're monogamous, they haven't made an explicit contract of what monogamy means to them. Right. Yeah. It's one person impressing their opinion on the other and not letting them be who they are and thinking that that actually defines their relationship. No, what defines a relationship is what they do together. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Very interesting. Oh, so do you find in doing your work that it shapes which books that you write? Like, does that really, I mean, I would think that it would, right? Like you see these things and you're like, oh, that that's a good topic for a book. It doesn't really shape. That's a really good question. My books have not necessarily been shaped by my clients. Okay. I think I've been more like, I know what I want to write about. And then I, I, I illustrate the clients that have been under that that kind of a heading. That's what I do. Sure, sure. So like in your book, LGBTQ Clients in Therapy, what instigated you to write that book? And I haven't read the book, so I can't say exactly what it is, but what brought you to write that particular book? Therapists. Therapists said to me, I would go around the country, I'm talking about LGBT, training therapists, and they were, they would say, we really want you, we wish you had a book that we could mm. read, and, you know, and so I was like, okay, and then they prompted me to do it, and I'm glad I did it. Right, so is that book kind of more primarily for therapists, or would people that are not therapists benefit from reading it as well? Non-therapists have read it and been, have benefited from it, but it's, you know, there's some psychobabble lingo in there that I think <laughs> would be, go over their head sometime, you know? Right. And then your erotic orientation, when I was looking at that book, that seems like a book that would really be helpful for couples to read, correct? Yes, it definitely would be. 
Yeah. And it could be for an individual. I've had individuals read it and 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 find some freedom and liberation and what they get off on. But I, I wrote it for couples so that they could, you know, have compassion for one another. Right. And isn't that what it's really all about is having compassion rather than judging your partner. There's so much judgment in the world. You know, you wish you didn't have to have it in your relationship too. Right. Right. It's a, and I call it erotic compassion, right? Mm. Help couples have all kinds of compassion for each other, but when it's erotic, therapists don't necessarily go there. Right. It's like the whole area of sex gets treated differently than everything else. Yes. Or not. It doesn't even come up. Oh, right. It even doesn't even come up. Yes. Isn't that true? It yes. is. It's so weird. It's like, why is that cut out? I mean, you're a whole person. Sex is a part of you. Why is it that that has to get cut out? I know it's our culture, but we need to stop it. <laughs> I know. I think because therapists have unexamined sexualities and mm. uh, are uncomfortable. And when I always train them, if you have an unexamined sexuality, you're going to take your client to what you think sex is for you, not what it right. is for them. Right. It doesn't seem like a good plan. <laughs> no, not at all. Talk about bias, right? Totally. So I would love, I noticed in your, I think it was in your book that you had a little section about open relationships and what, what feelings of, say someone has a feeling they want to be in an open relationship is, and the other person sees that as negative. How do you, do you ever counsel people on that? And how do you, because that's like an ultimate, like opposite view. I know it's hard. I don't take a stand on any of it other than helping couples negotiate it themselves mm, and sure. looking at the benefits. You know, a lot of people think, well, the golden standard and the norm is monogamy and anything else is pathological. And, you know, I guess I'm doing a lot of teaching, right? That that's not necessarily true at all. Right. Exactly. And, and who are we to judge anyways? That's not our role to judge other people, even right, though people all. do it all. People do it all the time. I had a couple came to me with an open relationship and they said, we came to you because our problems look like they started once we opened our relationship. But what mm. we know is that it only highlighted the already existing problems that were in our relationship. And we didn't want a therapist misunderstanding that and trying to get us to close down because of it. Oh, that's interesting that they had that insight. I know. I was. They taught me something that day. I never thought of it that way. Yeah. Well, and good for them for seeing it as, you know, that instead of blaming it only on that. I mean, because, you know, yeah, there's the problems in a relationship just don't all of a sudden pop. You know, they've no. been brewing. Right. Totally. And something may, you know, highlight them or make it obvious. But yeah, most things, are, they're, they're not a new issue. No, no. And a lot of therapists are so biased about open relationships that they would see it. It used to be like homosexuality was that way, right? It was seen as a disease, yeah. a path pathological. So they would right. look at things that would be the reason that you became gay or you became homosexual. It's the right. same now is true with open relationships. I think it's crazy that there's still people in the world that think that you can be like, you know, you're exposed to something and then you're like turned lesbian or turned gay. I know. I mean, <laughs> like you couldn't turn into any of those things. <laughs> I think that's so funny because like do a personal info on me. Like I I knew from the time I was 13 that I was attracted to both men and women. Mm -hmm. I knew that. And I never have actually acted on the bi side or the, the female side of, of my sexual orientation. But I have known since I was 13 that I'm bi. That doesn't okay. mean I'm not bi because right. I haven't done it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, that's a really good point. Yes. 
just because you have an accent on it doesn't mean it's it's not who you are. Exactly. I mean, I knew very well that I was attracted to both. It's just that I didn't act on the one side because, you know, for me too, it was more acceptable to uh, be with a man, a male person, a person with a penis. So that was more acceptable, even though throughout my life I have, and I still am attracted to both, but that doesn't make me not that. Right, right. No, and I forgot what I was originally bringing that up for. <laughs> I lost I'm not my sure, train. But I like it. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I think it's interesting. What the heck was I bringing that up for? I was bringing it up for a reason. I was talking about sexual identity. Ah, shoot, maybe I'll get it back. <laughs> but anyway, I think it's important to say that, that just because you don't act on something, it's, it's, it's the same thing. Just because you act on something doesn't make your sexual orientation one thing. And just because you don't act on something doesn't make it that one thing either. Right, exactly. Both are true. Both sides. Yeah. Exactly. And it's something that I've always known and I'm not, it's fine. You know, it is what it is. Maybe someday I'll act on it. Maybe someday I won't, but it is what it is and it's real. And, oh, that's why I said it. See, I know if I kept talking about it, it would come back. (laughs) (laughs) I was talking about how people think that you can be like turned gay or turned lesbian and you're not born that way. Right. Because people that, right. People LGBT have all kinds of early memories of being that straight. Like I wasn't exposed to anything. I mean, that I can even recall that would like turn me lesbian. I'm mean, or turn me bi. You know, it's just how I was. You know, I looked at I, I loved looking at Cosmopolitan and L and these beautiful women. And, and then it started to expand in other ways too. I just was. I just thought they were beautiful when they turned me on. Same with men. And oh, I know what I was going to say. This is what else I wanted to say. There were people, and you know, at one point it was like you know, bi, being bi was not acceptable. You were either gay or you were lesbian or you were straight. Right. And I right. and I feel like it's getting better that people accept bi. Do you feel like it is too? Yes, I do think it's getting a lot better and a lot more accepted to not to have this binary gay and straight. It's still a long way to go, but it's gotten a lot better. Right. And when, when I hear things that people think you're born, not born a certain way, it can like push you. You know, it's like, you know, on the outside, I look like just a plain old cishet female. You know, I don't... Yeah. <laughs> no one knows that I have those feelings by looking at me in my life. I, they wouldn't even guess that I have that. So, mm-hmm. you know, but yet I know it and I've known it since I 13 was about when it hit me where I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I know we're born that way. It doesn't just, we're not like, you know, clay that gets molded into a bisexual person. No, we're any, but I think what makes it hard is people, because what does shape us is our behaviors, right? So straight mm-hmm. men having gay sex, lesbians having sex with men. So they right. see it as related to orientation. They don't understand that's a behavior, like you said in the very beginning, not not an orientation. Right. Exactly. <laughs> well, we have it all mixed up, don't we? Yes. Tell me about your podcast. What do you talk about on your podcast? I love my podcast podcast. It's called Smart Sex, <laughs> Smart Love. You can find it at jokecourt.com. And I have interviewed sex workers. I've interviewed pro, um, not prostitutes, both sex workers, porn stars, I mean, therapists, educators. It gives me the freedom to get out of being a therapist and really interview people and talk about things that the world doesn't know about, like all kinds of different kinks and fetishes and uh, and then I do, you know, normative things too, like, you know, just vanilla sex and relationships. So it's really all across the board. I like that. But it's all about sex relationships in some way, shape or form. Yes. Yeah, it is. It's a good title. I like that. Smart sex, smart love. <laughs> Thank you. I like it too. I like it. How long have you been doing it? The podcast is in its third season. I think we're going into our fourth. 
And um, I really, really, I love it. I like to amplify other people's work. Oh, and I also talk a lot about, uh, and this is like another podcast for for us, but when you're a neurodivergent couple, where I couple my, like my husband has Asperger's and I'm neurotypical. So he's neuroatypical. Mm. And so that kind of stuff. Talk about. Oh yeah, that's interesting. And I think that's valuable to have out there because there isn't a whole lot of talk about that, right? Out in the no, world? not at all. There's, it's growing, but it's going to be a while. Yeah. All the challenges that go with that and all, you know, the realities. Yes. What's your favorite book that you've written? Do you have a favorite one? I do. And it's out of print and I feel so bad about it. I need to do something about it. I've just been so busy. It's my mm. second book for gay men. I actually want to rewrite it to everyone. It's called 10 Smart Things Gay Men Can Do to Find Real Love. And mm. it was just more in depth about not just relationship with one partner to another, but with your father, with your mother. It had something, a whole section on sexual fantasies and it just didn't do very well. It wasn't well edited. My publisher at the time was going out of business and mm. then um, I didn't really keep it going. So that's really my favorite book. I, I think I have my best thinking in that book. Well, the nice part is you can add to it, revise it and republish. Yes, that's what I plan to do for sure. Absolutely. So tell me one thing that you've learned over the course of your career that really, is there one thing that really stands out that you like to talk about or highlight? I'm really proud of myself that I was able to change my mindset from sex addiction to sexual health and see, mm. and not that I don't believe that people have sexual problems and compulsivity and all that, but to not, to really go from a long-standing ingrained mindset that something's an addiction. And I identified myself at the time even as an addict to understanding, nope, this is just, this, this is not a sexually informed model, the whole thing I said earlier. And then to, to leave a whole community that I was a beloved in really was one of the proudest moments and hardest things I've ever done. Oh, absolutely. And I talked with a man once who wrote a book and he said, there's no such thing as porn addiction. Do you agree with that? Statement? I agree. Yeah, yeah, there's no, because you can't be addicted. to Addiction is when you have a chemical in your body and it changes your physiology. There is nothing you're bringing into your body to change your physiology. True. True. What are your thoughts on porn now that we're talking about porn? Uh, I mean, I think porn can be very healthy expression. It can help people stay monogamous. It can enjoy fantasies you're never going to act on. I think that what people are uncomfortable with in relationships is that they worry that you like instead of me and mm. that you're pleasuring yourself. Like people aren't talking, porn isn't the problem. It's the masturbation, like back to what you were talking about earlier. Right, right. So they're afraid that they're going to like that more than the, the partner and the partner wants to be the thing that's liked the most. Yes, exactly. And I don't know how you combat that. I mean, you know, if you're still with the person, obviously they're still important to you. The relationship is important to you. And that should be what's important, right? 100%. But people lose sight of that because they believe this other thing is they're competing with it. Right. And, and I wonder if ego plays in that too. Like, no, I should be the one, you know, doing that for my partner. But yet if they're not doing it, then why not let the partner go get it? Exactly. If it's not harming anything. <laughs> 100%. Is there anything else that you would like to talk about before we end our discussion? Oh, that's a good question. What else? The last thing or I highlight guess I or, to, Say it again. Or highlight or talk about that we missed. Just that sexuality and erotic interests are not clean. They're messy. They're nuanced. They're smelly. They're dirty. They're 
prideful, they're pleasurable, they're shameful. And we have to make room for all of that and not try to clean it up and make it into some textbook thing. Very good. I totally agree. And that is great advice. Thank you so much for coming on my podcast. I will put links down in the podcast notes to all your info where you are. And I really appreciate you talking with me. Thank you. Thank you too. I loved it. Thank you very much for having me. Yes. Thank you for coming on. You have an amazing day. Yeah, you too. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode. I hope you found it valuable and helpful and you learned things about yourself and how to navigate your world and your relationships and your love life. I hope it helped you. Check out in the podcast notes where I will have links to his stuff so you can connect with him more. I will also put my links down there in my link tree where you can connect with me everywhere I am on the internet all of my books and audiobooks that are erotica and erotic romance and my social media so that you could connect with me further if you would like. If you enjoyed this and enjoy my podcast, please give me a rating, a review. Ratings and reviews help a podcast grow and help me as a content creator to grow. So please, if you enjoyed this, leave me a review a rating and follow my podcast and most of all i hope you have a sexy fucking day i hope you enjoy your sexuality today enjoy your body have fun masturbate enjoy yourself seek pleasure seek pleasure seek pleasure oh fuck yeah you have an amazing day love ya you have an amazing sexy day i mean (laughs) we gotta add the sexy in don't we Mm, yes we do Ready for some spring cleaning of your beard and groin hairs? Try out Manscaped products where you can get 20% off with my new code RUIN, R-U-A-N, to get 20% off and free shipping. In order to get the discount, use the promo code RUIN, R-U-A-N, to do that spring cleaning to get yourself ready for sexy times. Heat up your spring with a new shave, a new trim. Perhaps try going there. Get more skin smacks in the bedroom, if you know what I mean.